There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second series of The Human Podcast a place to hear extraordinary human stories that celebrate the limitless potential of human beings. This second series is dedicated to our very human stories of grief and loss, because when you dig down into the core matter of these experiences, what you actually discover is possibly our most unobserved and uncelebrated capacity for courage, resilience and love. Grief requires an expansiveness of self that stretches us to a fourth dimension the extraordinary thing is that we can contain it, live with it, and that somehow the human heart can hold it all. So if the world is feeling like a dark or difficult place, join us and let your heart be ignited by the fire of the human spirit. My goodness, what an absolute honour it is for us to be joined today by our guest, Frida Hughes. Frida is an artist an author, and a poet. She has lived an extraordinary life, one which truly tells us of the redemptive power of creativity to transform the experience of grief into a life with prolific creative purpose. Because grief and loss is something that has run throughout the landscape of Frida's life, with the loss of her mother, Sylvia, her father, Ted, and her brother, Nicholas. Of her childhood, she has said, there were happy times, But happiness was not what chiselled a shape out of me, and often it flowered in a garden of broken glass from the more painful experiences. Throughout her life, she has used her painting and writing to document and articulate the emotion of these seminal experiences. So my goodness, it is an honour, a true honour, to have this time in conversation with you today, Frida. And thank you um, for the just incredible generosity with which you've approached this conversation and and on behalf of myself and our listeners I just want you to know how how special this feels and just to say what a privilege it is to be here with you and you know I I, just to begin I find after the particularly after the year we've all had it's 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 trite really to ask how you are in any other capacity than right in this (laughs) moment today so so Frida how are you today? I'm I'm well, thank you, and I'm just I'm thank you so much for asking me, and I'm I'm very moved and touched to be here. Actually, um, life has been extremely busy. Mm. I'm renovating my studios, hired skips, hired workmen, and doing all those practical things too. It's um, I'm having a real clear out. Mm. I'm, I'm taking the opportunity while I'm I'm forbidden to go on long lovely motorbike rides at the end of which is a cafe <laughs> and, a, and a toilet that actually works um, as I can't do that I've been being kept at home I had also seen Frida that you had written on your on your blog that you had you had found somehow that through lockdown you know your might you you described your mind as being in creative atrophy as the result oh, yes. of pandemic and you know, I think this for you. This is this is particularly significant, isn't it? Against held against the backdrop of of you being otherwise incredibly prolific. Well, that's why I, I changed from. Um, I, I got halfway through the the third coronavirus painting. <laughs> I painted one about going into lockdown, one about being in lockdown, and I filmed myself doing it. And so I put it on my YouTube channel. So you've got these slightly um, fed up um, painting clips 
like how to paint how you feel about being in lockdown. Mm. And then I started the painting about coming out of lockdown and then we never came out. And every time we came out <laughs> a little bit, we went straight back in. Oh gosh. And so the painting is still sitting on the easel. You know, we're starting to lean into this. You know, there is a kind of, a very kind of prolific kind of current of creativity that runs through your life. And, I, and I'm interested to know, you know, in contrast to the to this past year and all the cha- the challenges particularly creatively that this very sort of strange time creates you know what what normally is the kind of internal and external landscape that enables your creativity to flow um you know looking looking at some of the projects you've done the extraordinary projects of 400 days and and your collection of poems 45 um you know if you could describe the kind of internal and external landscape that really enabled those works to happen. Well, when I when I say what I'm going to say, every, uh, people will probably think, oh, it's because everybody died. I mean, and it, but it's not. It's even when I was a child, and I remember being 15, I had this real sensation that I could hear time passing by so fast that the wind, the wind that howled off it, whistled in my ears. Wow. And I remember my, 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 one of my grandmothers saying, now, Frida, when you get to our age, time passes so fast. And I stood and looked at her and said, but you don't understand. Time is passing so incredibly mm. fast at 15. Um, and I was aware of it from the age of nine. Nine years old, I made a lot of decisions um, that came to govern my life. Um, uh, sort of quite personal decisions as well and I never and I, I sort of revisited those decisions as I got older but um, they didn't actually change um, I have this feeling that it's, it's just that it's like an internal motor and it does drive me and I've, I've been accused of being driven so often now that I'm beginning to believe it but um, it is a sense of I've got to do this because the time is running out. The time is running out. The, I don't know how many tomorrows I've got. I actually would like to live to 106 if I still have my marbles and I'm fit enough and can get about, um, simply because that might give me time to do some of the, th- you know, a lot of the things I want to do, um, the things I want to write, the things I want to paint. Um, uh, I can kind of cross off places I want to see. I've, I've pretty much seen everywhere I want to see, and I don't think we'll be doing that for a while. <laughs> Um, but I have a sense of life being wasted. When I say I'm a recycler, I, I put it this way. Um, I've been going through planning uh, for the building that I'm, I'm working on with the builders and um, with the workmen. And they, when they delay and so on, and another day goes by and another day goes by, and I can't help it, I think that's a day you've just eaten of my life that I'll never get back again. And I think of all the neighbours out there arguing about fence lines. And I think you're never going to get that Thursday back again when you were fighting with your neighbour, making both your days hell and you're miserable. And now you've just wasted hours. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, but it's like death when I'm dealing with death. It's, I can't change it. The only thing I have control over is the way I um, I behave afterwards. I can only control... So it, to, to me, it's how fast can I get the really awful, the horrible and the difficult things done? How quickly can I get that really miserable, unhappy um uh, sort of the, the, everything from the probate to the, to the funeral, how quickly can I deal with that so that the misery will then be over and I can mourn without being having to do miserable things to remind me daily. And so that's what I've done. I mean, when my brother died, and I, it took me a year to deal with all the aspects of his death because he died in three countries. Um, and it was it was 2009, March the 16th, 2009, and he lived in England, New Zealand, and Alaska, and so I had to go to the ends of the earth to deal with his things. Wow, that was difficult. Um, and in the meantime, um, it was how much um, how much building work could I get done? How much how much horrible stuff could I get done? So that when I'd finished dealing with one really challenging, difficult aspect. I wasn't then left with another. 
And you could call me a glutton for punishment, but it is, I'm constantly striving, I'm constantly striving to reach that happy place um, where it's calm. And sometimes I have to make areas of calm and sometimes I have to recognize that I've, you know, I'm burning myself out a bit and I will then take a break. I will, I will make myself take a break because it becomes, then it becomes, I have an excuse. It's part of the process. Having an in, an intimate relationship with, with the inevitable thing of death and dying to truly ignite this, you know, the importance to live, <laughs> you know, yes. and, 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 you know, it's something that I have been, it's one of the greatest lessons that's come for me out of loss is how, you know, living so intimately with death through the loss of my mum in the last few years has just supercharged, you know, uh, you know, the, the kind of exquisite aliveness of, of living too, you know, in all its pain and all its joy and all its suffering and all the light and dark shades. And I can really hear that in what you're saying. There's a kind of urgency, you know, when you've, when you really know, when you really know what it is, you know, when you really know death, it really can really ignites a very profound need to live, you know. Well, I've asked, I've, um, I've had, um, I can think of three occasions when I've had people seriously ask me, look, I need to ask you, Frida, are you dying? And and I look at them rather puzzled and they say, yes, well, you know, do you have cancer or something? Have you got something wrong with you? And I say, well, not to my knowledge, but I am dying. I just don't have a date yet. Um, and, um, but I am, but I was conscious of it from a child and I don't know whether it was because my, my mother, um, when my mother died, I was probably not quite three. Um, so, and I don't know if it was from that because I was not really aware of the ramifications of, you know, death. Uh, apropos um, my psychological make make up of my sort of psychological development but uh, but yes we're all dying and I think it's I, I was always I've always been aware of it I have been in a couple of um, I was in a very nasty car crash when I was 17 um, as a passenger and uh, that was very life-affirming I've had a couple of illnesses that could have killed me um, that was very life-affirming um, I was very lucky. I've been extremely lucky to remain alive <laughs> and in relatively one piece. Um, so I feel very responsible for using the days wisely and well. But that, you know, but it's also about having fun and seeing friends and it's about having a balance. You know, what you're kind of leaning into here, Frida, is this thing where, you know, there is this kind of profound relationship between, you know, the the expression of emotion and and mental health and and I guess I almost like you know creativity is a form of therapy but you also need to allow yourself to kind of to have that from 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 the wider world too I think you know as a creative I think often you know one could feel commissioned to have to kind of use use these very big experiences to really sort of supercharge creative stuff but actually well-being can come through doing something which is maybe lighter too and just being present with friends and it's all just as you know there that is also equally as important oddly gardening was it's funny being with plants was was always a very good thing but I did I do put things in my poetry and I have some poems actually I'd, I'd love to share with you mm, if oh, um, if that's all right but even though there are poems about death. I'd like to think they're life affirming. Mm. Um, and it's it's with the paintings. I find I paint the things I love to look at, like um, rocks, trees, rivers, that sort of thing. I will I will paint that for my sheer external pleasure. But when I want to paint how I feel about something, it has to be an abstract because I can't paint um, rocks and trees to show how miserable I might be feeling. Mm. And I've got to be honest, it's, you know, with all these, with the deaths, and, um, um, and it wasn't just my parents, it was also, um, you know, there was a girlfriend of my father's, Asia, and my half-sister, Shura. Um, Asia killed herself in, um, it was 1969, and killed Shura. Um, uh, she committed suicide. I do believe very firmly 
that you have to be allowed to simply sit and ball your head off. You yeah. know, it's um, one of the things, um, again, a little uh, story. I was phoned by a friend after my brother's death. And I'll never forget it because I had two runner ducks in a box under one arm when I picked up the phone. And I was just taking them to a friend's house. She had a big pond, big lake, and they were going to go and be with lots of other ducks and be happy. Uh, because I had to then go off and deal with my brother's my brother's things. And uh, I wasn't going to be able to look after the ducks. So she said to me, my friend says to me, now I'm just phoning for you to see if you have help. I just want to make sure you're all right. And I said, well, you know, that's really lovely of you. And thank you so much. But, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm getting through it. And she said, well, no, no, I need to make sure. Are you, are you getting the right help? Now, at this point, I hadn't trained as a counsellor, but I thought she meant, had I seen one? And I said, well, I don't really need to see anybody because... I believe that if I ask my own questions, you know, I have questions, I think I'm probably best suited to answer them myself because I'm the one going through this. And she said, no, 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 I don't mean like that. I don't mean self-analysis or anything else or or shrinks. She said, no, I mean, are you taking the right pills? Mm. And I have to be honest, I was really shocked. I was also, and you have to forgive me for this, really angry Mm. because um, I don't think that grief is something you should or can easily just medicate. Mm. So I didn't drink. In fact, if I felt like a drink, it's funny because I really love a glass of wine. Mm. But if I felt like a glass of wine because I'm unhappy, I will not have it. And I know this sounds really silly and a bit as though if I'm beating myself up. I need to know exactly how I'm feeling and that it is real for me in order to be able to deal with it. If I medicate it, first of all, it will only be waiting for me when I am off the medication. This is just for me. This is, you know, other things work for other people. This is just for me. But um, I do not want to drink myself into a stupor to forget a death or a deep unhappiness that is going to be waiting for me when I come out of the stupor. I want to be awake and I want to be conscious and I want to be able and the only way I can do that is to remain unadulterated. And I, I, I wouldn't be popping pills. I would be sitting. And when I felt like sitting on the landing, absolutely weeping, I would do just that. But there was a mirror opposite. And I remember sometimes I would just sit there and, and weep. And then I'd look up and my face would be all red and horrible. And, everything. and I'd look up and I'd say, right, Frida, OK, that's enough. You've got to get a move on, girl. And I do have to talk to myself sometimes. It's a bit like being my own school teacher and get myself going. I don't believe that you can avoid grief. I think it is just a question of working through it. It's like tidal waves. You just have to hunker down, hang on to something solid, you know, table, bench, sofa, and um, and let it wash off over you because it passes. It all passes. Can I read you a poem? Yes, please do. And um, the title of, is, of death is Three Minutes Without Air, Three Days Without Water, Three Weeks Without Food, because that is actually as long as we can live without those you know three minutes and three days and three weeks beyond which we will die but um i wrote this for a friend um because he stood up in front of a of a church full of people of mourners for his wife and he said i am going to mourn my wife forever i'm never going to recover I intend never to recover, and I um, I'm just going to be miserable. I, it's my job. If I'm not miserable, then I'm not honouring her memory. And I remember sitting there in the front row, so shocked. I mean, I don't expect people to be, you know, say, oh, I'm going to get over this and be happy afterwards. No, life is an evolution. You don't know what's going to happen afterwards. You don't know how you're going to evolve. Um, and so we just have to wait and see. For the living left behind is the first one I wrote with my friend in mind. No one dead who loved you would wish your future years dismembered against the rocks of their departure. They would not sentence you to the guilt of betrayal for any moment they weren't uppermost in your mind. Nor would they wish you to whittle down like a stick to pick the stony teeth in the open mouth of abject misery daily until you are nothing left. No one dead who loved you would want your still-breathing carcass to be lost in the wilderness that spans the two worlds of the living and the dead, where you are neither dead nor living. 
They would not applaud your misery, but would weep to watch their loss made pointless by the waste of you. The dead become a part of us, our skin, our bone, our thinking. Their existence is continuous in us and the best we do in everything as we move on from the moment of their passing. Step back from the graveside where nothing flowers. Do not undo the best they did for you. Wow, Frida, thank you so much for reading that for us. I mean, there's there's so much lived experience in that. That's spoken from the from from the soul of somebody who truly knows what wisdom. And I always think if 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 we if we imagine the people we've loved and lost looking down on us, and I think, you know, if you can imagine that, what would you think they would want for you? Mm. I mean, how do we, how could we think, how do we think they would feel if they looked at us and saw, I mean, yes, suffering their loss, of course, for a while or for as long as it takes. And everybody's length of time is different and everybody's experience is different. But ultimately, um, we honour them by living well. That's what I believe. I believe we honour them by living well. On the reflection of of that incredible poem that you wrote for your friend, just really how it's um, you know from from your friend's perspective, I I really there is something so there is just something so shocking about grief, though, isn't there? When at first, if you haven't had it before, if you haven't experienced it before, you kind of can't believe that something which is such an inevitable and completely you know integral part of human life could feel so unnaturally painful and you know I wonder you know and I I don't know if it gets easier I don't know if we do learn I don't I, I don't think we I don't think our kind of souls ever become hardened to the to the experience of that separation from the very important people in our in our lives. I mean, what what, what I would love to know your thoughts on that. If you think it is something you learn well, to cope every, with more. Well, everybody everybody we love we love individually, and so each individual loss is like having somebody ripped out. And but it's it's for me it was like being thrown into a landscape where. Um, I didn't recognize anything. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, when my my father um, had cancer, I knew he was going to die, but I couldn't anticipate the feeling or the grief and, mm. and the and the depth of the grief, which was so shocking to me. I think there's there's no preparation you can make because there's no, you know, if it hasn't happened, we don't know. And each time it happens, with each person, they are so different in our lives. You know, our mother is not our father. Our father is not our mother. My brother was not a parent. But, you know, my brother at the same time was my only um, remaining sibling. And, uh, you know, in my mind, I had a life. It doesn't just rip them out of our, our life now, today. It rips our future with them out. Because with my brother, I had myself what I thought... You know, I don't have children. He'll have children. I'll be an aunt. You know, he'll go off and get married. And um, so in my mind, I had a very different future planned, you know, in my head, because we work with what we can see. And I could see I had a brother, you know, he had girlfriends. They would probably procreate at some point. Um, But when he died, I then had to learn a whole new language. I had to learn how to um, manage this devastating sort of empty landscape where all these you know happy little projections and they were I mean you know they were fanciful projections of mine and they they might have had you know he, he might have been horrified um had he known that I you know planned for him to have a couple of kids <laughs> but um so it, it's it's not just the present it is the future it's our future life with them too and you know even though we know we're going to lose our parents we're not prepared for, you know, if we've had a good relationship with our parents, that that loss of everything that made us safe. You think from the moment we're born, you know, the safety of having a parent there, and then they're not. I mean, I never forget when I first I went abroad. Whenever I went abroad, I would phone my father. The moment I hit English soil, I would come back. I would phone my father just to say, hi, Dad, I'm home. Mm-hmm. And I never forget the, the first time I went away after he died, 
And I went to pick up the phone. Oh, Frida, I'm so sorry. Oh, it happens sometimes. This is, it's funny when I write, not funny, haha, but when I write poems, sometimes, sometimes I find them very hard to read on stage. Yeah. Because it brings back that moment mm. so clearly. Because when I write a poem, what I'm really doing is I'm bottling it. for. Le- I'm sort of bottling it to control it. Mm. I'm bottling it to look at it more objectively. But also, it's a bit like sniffing perfume. So I read a poem, and if the, you know, if the mood is right, then actually you get the sniff of that perfume, and it's like it's now. It's like it just happened. Mm. You know, so when I said I reach out, the, reach out for the phone, and I could just remember that, then exactly what that felt like reaching out mm. for the phone and they're suddenly remembering that he was no longer there. Mm. But um, I've got another poem about loss and this is a sort of poem that. about everybody and it's for everybody and it's really um, how we have to give people back. When I was um, married um, to my first husband, which was very young when I was 19, and um, and when we're young, we're very, well, I, I was very... Um, invested you know it's like oh I'm never going to love again this is going to be like the only love of my life and and then it's well what happens you know he rode a motorbike what's happened if he gets killed on a motorbike and oh my god and this so worried me I thought I can't actually continue to live with the fear that he might get killed on a motorbike Um, and I love motorbikes and I ride ride motorbikes myself um, but I had to find a way of thinking that would allow me not to be so intense about something that hadn't happened and would probably never happen and and never did happen um thankfully um we're no longer together but he's still around I saw him a couple of years ago (laughs) um he looked pretty fit then but anyway um so I thought actually we borrow people I'm borrowing him so this was my way of finding a way to get around my um thoughts of I mean my ridiculous catastrophic thoughts and I thought well hang on a minute Life is whatever it is, and I have to accept that. I may not like it, but I'm borrowing him. (laughs) One day I'm going to have to give him back, and it might be to an accident. It might be to another woman. It might be. And so with that in mind and with death as, you know, one of those alternatives, I wrote this poem. We borrow people by blood or birth, marriage or friendship, but they are not ours to keep. We do not possess them. We have no rights, not even in partnership or parenthood. Sometimes they drift off like balloons caught in the breath of others, distracted by other countries, other friends, other relatives and lovers, and sometimes death. Maybe they polished us in passing so we shone, but we are never less because they're gone, nor are we lost for we remain. Our time together was never to be infinite. We disregard the truth of impending separation that manifests again in each relationship. Our illusion of in-perpetuity, somehow ignoring loss of life, divorce, or simply falling out, or out of love. All beginnings initiate an end. The time between and the nature of that final severance are all that's questionable. If we live loveless in order to avoid the pain of loss, then our cowardice reduces us to shallow puddles of ourselves, evaporating. So love and let it end when it must. Be glad that time was had at all. It is part of you, this loss. It lends you history. Not meant to harm, it becomes your tapestry And in this way, you retain the missing and the dead in memory. They are born into the years ahead in the minds of others and so discover the root of immortality. Oh, Frida, wow. So I put things, I put all my intense feelings into mm. those poems. I read somewhere that you, you said exactly that, that just, that, you know, you really, you put your, you know, you, you put stuff, you know, you put, you put, you put this into your, into your poems. And I just think that there is, there's something around 
you know that we can say things through the through the medium of art and and creativity that you know we we can't always say in the kind of normal three-dimensional world you know it is a form of it is funny it's a language with paintings it's it's interesting because my brother I wasn't when he first died I wasn't able to paint for the first few weeks and I sat there looking at canvases and I thought I, I wasn't so much an abstract artist um, I'm much more so now where the emotions are concerned hence 400 days that was mm. right at painting my diary daily um, so I started painting I did three paintings well, I did several actually but they're called transition and um, they were about this is how weird it is you know there I was my brother had killed himself and at the same time something really lovely could happen in my life that was unexpected um, or somebody could um, there could be an act of kindness maybe you know something fortuitous happened and I was constantly amazed that I was able to feel a moment of joy or a moment of um, lightness in all this unhappiness that I felt at his loss mm. and and it was devastating at the time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When we spoke previously before, you had um we kind of touched on the fact that, you know, when you're grieving somebody who also has a kind of profound public presence that can be very difficult as well having to kind of that strange it, it what feels like a very very unnatural thing to have to somehow share that experience which is just so sacred and, and deeply personal with other people whom you just do not know who or who didn't know that person either you know I found I found the public aspect very difficult um, because it removed it from me. And also other people had a very different view. I mean, they have a very different view of my mother. They certainly had a very different view of my father. And then, of course, my brother's friends, when I met them over in Alaska and New Zealand, um, it's very interesting because the person that they knew was it was a whole other aspect of my brother I'd never known and they'd never known his the relationship I had with him because they'd never met his sister it was it was actually very challenging because the feeling that um, I did get very strongly was of um, imposition theft sort of theft you know because it's like no this is my death <laughs> sorry give me this is I'm I'm I, I just want to get this death done this is my death and I had to remember that you know his friends were in his life you know 
all the time in a much closer way. And he was in my life all the time, but we were in a much more distant way because he was either in Alaska or New Zealand. We were always on the end of the phone or email or something. But at the same time, it was it was we weren't living with each other in our, you know, we weren't working in the same vicinity. We weren't living in the same town. We weren't even on the same landmass. And so that was tough. With my father, it was really tough because um, that was so public. And um, and I think, you know, then I think of you going through the death of your mother and that a sort of possession of the parent by strangers. And, um, and also, there's always that question... Do they, you know, I mean, I, you know, who has a right to mourn? Um, but actually, everybody's allowed to mourn the loss of somebody. I've, I've been very, actually, un, I mean, sort of surprised to me. I've been upset by the death of people who I've never met, but who I thought had some particularly important effect on humanity as a whole. And so it's a mourning, mourning in rather an abstract sense. Mm. I'm. I find it very difficult to grieve about my loss with anybody else. I mean, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing a friend could say, you know, I love my friends dearly, but there's nothing they could say. Being with them doesn't make it less. Mm -hmm. Um, Them talking to me doesn't make it less. So for me, it's always a very deeply personal thing. And I'm I'm slightly, in a way, I, I'm the kind of person who just wants to scuttle away, have a very quiet funeral, very quiet everything, and not the big public thing at all. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not a person who will. Um, I mean, I I I had to tell. I had to. I couldn't even make an announcement that my brother had died. I had to. I got a friend who was a journalist to do it for me, um, because I. Um, didn't want to basically Mm. Um, not that I thought not doing it would mean that he wasn't dead but it was just um, I just didn't want everybody I don't know looking I just wanted you know it's like being terribly wounded I wanted to go away and just lick my own wounds and and get better somewhere privately quietly and um, I'm not a person who wants to share with the world the bad thing that's happening now. I'm the person who will tell you that something bad happened when I'm over it and, mm. and it's in the past. Because I, I got a lot of emails mm. and um, I think there were like 500 of them or something. And mm. Is this I, with, you, with your brother or with your father? Yeah, with my, with my brother. Right. And um, I just um, couldn't, I read a few and then I just thought I can't keep reading these. Mm. And so I thought, well, I'll save them for later. I'll save them for when I'm feeling better and when I have time. Mm. And they're still sitting there unread on the computer. And we're looking at 2009. It's been 12 years. And I think, and I, and now I think, you know, I feel really bad. I wish I'd read them, but I feel, you know, because there people made an effort and an outpouring. But I was just so. Um, unhappy and of course because I, I was the only person doing everything mm. so I had to um, deal with his affairs in three countries and it was like three people died and so I just buckled down to it and got on with it and I can't I'm, I'm not good at asking for help I'm I'm really you know I'm, I'm like um, hmm I mean, I could ask, for, I mean, when I say asking for help, I mean the sort of practical, physical, you know, help. I, I'm just a person who gets on with it. And I just thought, I need to get on with this. And um, um, and the sooner I get on with it, the sooner there'll be that peace, that space where I have peace. Oh, maybe I'll read the emails then. And um, and then, of course, you turn on the computer and there are 120 emails that aren't in to, to do with my brother's death that need yeah. fixing for other reasons. Um, but I suppose with your with your father, it would have been pre. Was it before email was the it, way that people it was, communicated? Yeah, it was ninety eight, and people didn't um, didn't email me then. Um, they wrote letters, but pretty much all to my the family home. So it was sort of to you know, Frida, Nick, and my stepmother, and um, and so it was a sort of job lot. You know, we yeah. we got lumped in with the job lot. And uh, and I did read a lot of those. Um, I you know they, my stepmother used to just put them in a bowl and I'd go through them. 
Mm. Um, funnily enough, I, I think that was part of it. Um, I find it a lot easier to read a physical letter than to read condolences on a screen because the screen sort of removes them once. It's like one step removed. Mm. And so it, it was because it was less personal somehow because it you know it didn't have the handwriting and it's you know it was easy it was easy to park up <laughs> whereas if it comes through the letterbox I've got to open it so Frida what what does courage feel like I don't know <laughs> I have no idea somebody said I read somewhere though um Actually, being brave isn't doing um, risky things or getting through difficult things and feeling nothing. Being brave is when you feel the fear but do it anyway. Exactly. So maybe that. courage is maybe courage is part of that. Feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Mm. I because think that's it... what I f- that's what I feel about pretty much everything. Actually, getting through death, getting through life, getting through everything. Feeling the fear. I have never, um, you know. Um, getting through stuff doesn't mean to say that I don't give myself time to just sit down and and just think okay I'm just I'm just going to um have a quick weep right now because I'm feeling really sad about this thing or that thing but also I I am the only person responsible for myself there is no one else that I would want to give the responsibility to pick me up so I feel very powerfully that I have to keep myself fit, fed, slept, um, because even if I had children to look after me in my dotage, or even if I had um, parents who had looked after me when I was young, I wouldn't want to give anybody else the responsibility of picking me up. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the crunch, my bottom line is I have to make sure that I can pick myself up because I cannot, I would not um, sort of laden um, anybody else with the responsibility. It's my responsibility. I feel that very strongly about um, how I live and how I get through life is that I, take, I, I need to take responsibility for everything that I do and I am. And I was going to say, Frida, I mean, that's absolutely <laughs> interwoven through every single aspect of of the way you've lived your life from what I can see. Well, I hope that's a good thing. But it I, is, my, my poem, <laughs> well, thank you. Um, my poem is when when daddy died and um, and his he was lying in his coffin in the living room at uh, the family home. And I was, I was so angry. And I mean, apart from being distraught, I was very angry. And so I had, I sat by his coffin one night and I I felt very much as though I had a conversation with death. And that's what this poem is called. And it's really, it's it's an affirmation of life, I hope you think, I I feel it is. Um, And his life as it was, but I'd like to share this with you. Conversation with death. Death has come to have a look at his work. Sitting by my father's coffin, fingers linked in his lap like any doctor, he is smiling. You took him too soon, I say. It wasn't easy, he tells me. Every time I found a way to get him, he slipped out of it. That first time, I was sure the cells I chose would do it. I watered each blessed seed. I visited daily. My flowers flowered, but I found he could uproot them with almost a thought. Each day was stolen from me, even when I had him by the heart, tried to stop it beating, held it fast in my two hands. It was as if he climbed inside his own crawl space and picked off my fingers one by one. You could have left him for longer, I protested. Death frowned. To take some poor soul, car crashed by the roadside, or with bullet holes and a leg blown off, is easy. There is no grace in that. But to take a greatness who fights with all that accumulated excellence, derived from a full time, even had in a short time, is an art. I could have had him in his thirties. I wanted him then. I have wanted him all along. 
if I told you I nearly lifted him off a train when he was only 42 or 43 and a little arrhythmia was going to be my percussion's end to his ebb and flow of corpuscles, could you not see how lucky you are to have had him for longer? I let him ripen on his tree like a heavy fruit, but to wait until his stalk broke in his 80s or maybe even his 90s, to have him roll into my lap like a ripe fig would have ruined me. To take him at the peak of his perfection when he was at his escaping most cleverest meant I really got to achieve something. Wow. That could have been written about your mother. Oh, If you don't mind me saying that. (laughs) It was written about your absolutely (laughs) extraordinary father. But it was my way of saying, you know, it was my way of having a conversation with death and death saying, do you know what? Um, You're so lucky to have had him for the time you had him. Mm. And um, but he was so brilliant that, you know, I wanted him too. And so it's just me trying to, you know, finding ways to you know, negotiate my grief. Mm. And one of them was trying to face death literally. As, as you know another entity just thank you so much for the unbelievably generous generous way in which you've approached this conversation I just know it's going to mean so much to so many people well thank you for thank you for asking me and thank you for having me on and thank you for letting me read my poems because my poems and my paintings really are what I pour everything into and a distillation of all those emotions well what an absolute privilege to get up so close to them in this time we've had and so Frida in um in true true form for this this series what we've been asking our our brilliant guests to do every episode is you know as part of our pursuit to really try and build out a rich language for this thing called grief which I think too often the language of which too often buckles into the inexpressible. We're asking guests to bring to the episode a piece, you know, a contribution that they really feel has somehow articulated this fourth dimensional thing called grief for them in a very meaningful and important way. And it can be a poem, a piece of writing. It could just be some words of advice that somebody's given you. Um, and so I was wondering what, what you'd like to bring for us today. I um okay. Mine's a very odd little thing. It's an anecdote. Mm. Is that okay? Perfect. And it's well, it's an odd anecdote, and it's when my brother died, I had a phone call from um, a journalist in another country who had interviewed me before, and they phoned and they said, you know, I'm phoning to. Um, and they're, they're, <laughs> I don't know how to describe them. They're very, they're very um, open with their questions. They're, they'd, they would always ask me questions that were just completely off the cuff and somehow not thought out. So what I got was, now that your brother's killed himself, do you feel like killing yourself too? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. So... I, I, I remember I was oh on God, the... Oh, God, I'm slightly the... kind of, kind of slightly <laughs> taken aback by that. Well, I just... It, it was a pivotal moment in the sense that I... It was very recent. It, my brother had... It was literally days. It was only a week. Jesus it only been a week. Christ. And I was standing... I remember standing on my landing with the mobile phone and the fury and the fury welling up in front of me and I wanted to scream, Dad, of course I don't, you silly person. And But actually, I didn't. I thought, Frida... Be careful. Just just think about this for a second. And actually, just tell her how you feel. And I said to her, absolutely not. I said, I feel like living to the length and depth and breadth of my ability, to the best, to my to, to the absolute best that I can possibly manage. I said, because if I don't then all those others, other deaths become meaningless. I said, I have to live to the fullest extent that I am able. And so that was my reply to her. And I absolutely meant it. The it was greatest. either that or scream at her. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> that is 
that is the greatest gift that death can give us is that commitment to live and live ferociously with passion every single I day think you're right Frida thank you for all you are for all you do and for this absolutely extraordinarily special time we've had with you today my goodness so as we come to the end of our of our time together in 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 true human fashion we will play out with a song and so so what song would you like to choose to to dedicate to our our time together today so the song i would like is um but something by acdc <laughs> amazing I would like Rock and Roll Train by ACDC because it's, it's like a, a bit of rock to really kick life into gear. <laughs> Amen to that. Frida Hughes, with all our love. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Jeff. Here we have ACDC, Rock and Roll Train. Thank you all so much for listening if you'd like to rate review and subscribe to us on your podcast app then please do and you know the score five stars please if you'd like to come and say hello on instagram then you can find me and all things human podcast related at this is jess mills this podcast was created and hosted by me jess mills with creative co-production by bonnie tyburn and produced by joel porter at dot 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 Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.